Tiger. This podcast contains language and explicit themes. Okay, now begin. Babes, welcome to This Body, a podcast about being in a body. I'm your unreliable narrator and host, Sophia, recording from somewhere aloft Los Angeles, being angelic in the city of angels. I'm an existentialist, a rock and roll disciple, and I teach a bit of yoga here and there. How's your week been? Mine's been pretty low stress, and yet I feel very anxious of late. I know it's the moon we just had, the hunter-wolf moon. That one hits so hard I feel like it beams watery psychosis directly down to my ovaries, making me crazy. You know how it is. Thank God it's only once in a wolf moon. It's winter in California and we're bundled up like we're in Alaska. But it's like currently 85 degrees in my house. Speaking of Alaska, I'm watching True Detective Night Country with Jodie Foster. And whilst I can't really tell if it's good or corny, I suspect corny, I am enjoying it thus far. Jodie fucking Foster. It's the foster and I'm here for it. Dr. Lighter. Dr. Lighter. Dr. Lighter. So whilst the rest of the country freezes and has their power cut off right when it's needed most, we here in Los Angeles had a little earthquake that I did feel, but attributed to the edibles I'd consumed earlier. This has been my entire relationship to earthquakes in LA since I got here. My arrival coincided with the beginning of my passionate relationship to vegan cannabis edibles. So I've experienced probably thousands of earthquakes I didn't recognize as such because I was stoned. Yesterday at Pilates I thought we were having an earthquake but it was just the springs of my reformer shaking. One July 4th, we had a good one in Pasadena, and I, being the prepared genius that I am, went straight outside to ask the neighbors if that was in fact an earthquake. FYI, you're meant to stay inside, and that's the end of my SoCal PSA. Thank you to those who have messaged me about the pod. I've had some feedback, some of you saying you enjoy my personal stories. So today you're in luck, because for me to talk about today's subject, I first have to tell you my credentials in it, and why I'm qualified to give you my thoughts. We're going to get very personal and revealing. So slip into something more comfortable, and settle in for the peep show, babes. But before we get into it, Please pause, scroll to the bottom of your screen, and rate the show of five stars. And if you're feeling creative and generous, leave a review. This will help other people find this body and expand our community. And that's what it's all about. So today on the pod, we're going to talk about a couple of my favorite things self-esteem and self-respect. These things are of the highest value for us as humans living in bodies. Self-esteem is utterly foundational to our survival and without self-respect and esteem, there is no hope of thriving in this life. But 
There are a million things beyond our control that heavily impact how we see ourselves. We don't get a say about what country we're born in or who raises us. We don't get to start on an even playing field and we are not born with self-esteem. We're basically born blobs of unsculpted clay and through our caregivers and environment, nature nurture, we learn our value as the ego develops. And sadly, not all children are loved equally and not all children are born into peacetime with a path to thriving laid out before them. Not all babies are loved and cared for. Not all children have healthy families and loving parents who mirror and bond with their babies. Many babies are born into chaotic environments. Maybe this rings true for you. And if not, I'm sure it hurts your heart to imagine children out there not getting the support and adoration they need and deserve in order to grow into self-respecting adults. So let's just take a breath. And notice how that feels. Notice the in-breath. Notice the out-breath. And how you feel as you take in this moment. Let's talk formative years. In Western science, the development of self-esteem takes place during the first eight years or so. Zero to five is critical. But I think we can say the first decade is almost a do-or-die decade for us all. This is when our neuroplasticity is at its peak. In yoga, there is the idea of the chakra system, energetic points throughout the body, and it's believed that these energy centers develop over the course of one's childhood. The first chakra, the base chakra, is said to develop in utero and the sacral chakra during the formative years. Those ideas mirror Western science. These chakras are about a sense of self, a feeling of belonging, of the right to be here, and whether or not one develops a healthy sense of well-being within themselves. It's all about knowing you're okay and loved, accepted and celebrated just for being you. No child needs to earn love. We are all inherently lovable simply by virtue of being ourselves. Unless, of course, one is a psychopath, harming animals and setting fires. In that case, drop that kid off in the desert and know you're probably preventing a future serial killer from a rampage. Okay, (laughs) so here's what I know about formative years. I was born to married parents, but when I was a baby, my father abandoned our family and I never saw or heard from him again. I have zero memory of my father. I only know what he looked like from photographs. It was kind of weird, actually. My mother kept a framed photo of the three of us on the glass shelves next to the stereo and it really gave me a strange feeling. I felt no connection to my father at all, and I also saw no resemblance between us. I'd sometimes look at that photo of me as a tiny baby and my mother, who was a babe, and think my father must have been a total psycho for leaving us. Even as a tiny person, I had high self-esteem, and that's down to my mother's side of the family loving the living daylights out of me from the moment I was conceived. The walk out of my father did not do to me what it does to many children. I mean, I have some pretty heavy issues these days, but more on that on a future episode about daddy issues, abandonment, attachment, and texting the ex until he considers a restraining order. Hey, ring the alarm. Hey, whoa. Anyway, you know, 
The sad but kind of good thing for me at the time was that being abandoned by your father in the 80s was totally common. It was the era of divorced parents. And I personally felt fortunate that my father had fucked off before I had any memory of him. Kids who went through divorces when they were like seven had an absolute nightmare of a time. I've always felt fortunate I didn't have to be cognizant of any of what happened. And it was also good not to have an unreliable father coming in and out of my life. Totally gone is much more stable. So my father's absence did not leave me wanting as a child. I was very lucky that my mother's side of the family had a healthy way of loving and being affectionate. It wasn't until I was older that I felt a void around the other half of what should have been mine, my Italian family, my language, my culture, all stolen from me. My quiet and personal feelings as a child were of distaste for the stranger known as my father. Talking about my father and the family, though, wasn't taboo at all. All the adults touched upon the subject without fear. There was honesty and actually a lot of good memories shared with me. I think it's interesting to note that there were no secrets and I was treated with respect even as a little child. One thing I'll say for my family is that we didn't lie. And I think that's an important part of our foundational years, to have the whole truth and be assured that the whole truth is, how to say... I feel like truth is beauty. Even if the truth is awful, even if it's the last thing you want to hear, a lie is never truly beautiful because it's robbing you of your own reaction, your own ability to understand. And we can't know what we're capable of if we're not given the chance to start with the truth, if that makes sense. So a lot of children have secrets kept from them and find out later and this can have a fracturing effect on self-esteem, especially if it messes with the foundations that they built their identity on. And that may resonate with some of you out here. We are not all existing on the same level playing field. So as our sexuality comes online, we have a new opportunity to develop self-esteem. And again, a lot of it is going to be influenced heavily by the people around us, older adults and peers. Is our sexual identity okay? How are our carers reacting to it? Do we have privacy to explore that identity? Is societal messaging playing a part? Are we safe? Are we protected? My mother believed in sex education. When I was six, she told me about the birds and the bees, which was disgusting to discover, but I was never confused after that. And from there, I became fascinated by an Australian teen magazine called Dolly which filled in all the blanks about sex, pregnancy, STDs, HIV and AIDS, condoms and the pill. The message conveyed about sex was it's good, it's healthy, but be in love first. I don't really know how that sounds these days. At 44, I've most definitely had sex with people I haven't loved, but come to think of it, not that many. I guess the reason I'm questioning it right now is because of how sexual society is nowadays. To be in love seems kind of ridiculous now that we have internet porn. But I still believe in love, babes. I guess the sex just seems so much louder and more insistent since the internet came along. 
So I learned through Dolly Magazine that losing your virginity is special and if the person you're going to have sex with loves and cares for you, the sex will be much better and you'll want to protect one another by using a condom. Again, the 80s and 90s. I'm a condom fanatic to this day. AIDS was petrifying, so I just think the sane education I received through responsible media and good parenting was remarkable. There was no messaging about needing to be married to have sex. The overriding message was to respect and love yourself and use that as your foundation. Trust yourself. I mean, that's amazing. I thought it was the norm, but as I met more and more people over the course of my life, I came to understand that no, it's not the norm. Perhaps your family had impossible expectations of you or neglected your needs. Maybe you were hurt and abused as a little person. Maybe your privacy was invaded. Maybe you didn't have one or both parents. Perhaps your sexuality was confusing or condemned. Maybe your ancestors were taken from their families via the slave trade or methods used to colonize native land. Then they became parents and had to figure that out alone. There are so many variables we have no control over as children. And that actually applies to adults and all of us who live in bodies on earth. No one can control much at all. What I really want to acknowledge now, though, is that if you're hearing this and feeling overwhelmed or hopeless or even intimidated at memories of difficult things you've been through and survived, I want to say that it is really fucking hard. This one, self-esteem, this is one of the biggies. If you have to build it yourself from the ground up because your caregivers failed you, it is very hard and Everest for sure. So with every single step forward, give yourself grace, 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 and more grace. Climbing a killer mountain is rugged, and not everyone gets all the way to the top. Reaching the summit is actually not the goal, though. It's about traversing the terrain, mapping things out, understanding where is good for you to make your camp, and also learning to respect the environment of the self. You don't throw garbage around the campsite, you respect it. What I'm talking about metaphorically is this body, your body, your home. Respect your beautiful body. So yes, it's a bitch if you're starting at a disadvantage. Not least because there's a presupposition in society, particularly American society, that everyone's born equal under God and has equal opportunity. I don't have to explain why that is an erroneous thesis, but I'll lay it out anyway. Our self-esteem is directly influenced, of course, by our position in society, but we exist in an individualistic society that denies the collective. If America is the core of the radioactive bootstraps mentality, the whole world is sick from the fallout. We're told that if we just try harder, do better, we can all improve our own self-esteem. We are expected to view our life as a project to improve the body politics of the American dream. The body horror more like. Under the current political ideology, it's assumed that we're all born perfectly poised at the starting line of life at zero. The fact is some people are born at negative 10. Some people are born at positive 100. The myth of the level playing field is just that. Fucking bullshit. 
self-esteem and respect are impacted by position. And yet the fact is, we're all connected. Alan Watts said, We do not come into this world. We come out of it as leaves from a tree. As the ocean waves, the universe peoples. Every individual is an expression of the whole realm of nature, a unique action of the total universe. So, what of collective self-esteem? Countries have self-esteem levels too. So, that is also going to impact the personal. Living in the States, I've thought a lot about the war-industrial complex and the effect of war on the nation's self-esteem. The traumatic state of war America is always involved in offshore. War itself may not be raging on American soil, but every single generation has family who enlist and die overseas, and that keeps the entire country in a highly traumatized reactive state. Whether it's you, your family member, or you are simply living in proximity to people who are suffering the trauma of a loved one at war, that's a heartbreaker whether you're for the troops or not. Countries who are invaded and are taken over talk about the humiliation of war. It's all very disgusting. War is such a failure, and living with failure affects our self-respect. There are a million things beyond our control that heavily impact how we see ourselves. So just another thing to give yourself grace for. Okay, back to the personal. Something did happen to me at 10 or 11 years old that bookended my childhood and my formative years and essentially signaled the beginning of my adulthood. My mother had her first manic episode. She had mental health issues for the rest of her life. And by mental health issues, I don't mean going to therapy and finding life really upsetting. I mean going to jail, being 5150'd on the regular. It was absolutely beyond violent, unpredictable, scary. Maybe I'll discuss what's known in the medical world as bipolar disorder sometime in the future. So when I was about 10 or 11, my mum began her mental health battle. I went through a few years of absolute chaos in the home, and as soon as I could legally leave at 16, I was on my own. Like, really on my own. Just me and my moneymaker. I'm telling you this to show how essential those first 8 to 10 years are. Had I not the self-respect and esteem within me by the time my mother went off the rails, I'm unsure if I would have survived my teen years and my crazy 20s. The revolutionary, Gloria Steinem, used to joke that the examined life is not worth living. For years, she assumed that concern with inner change was secondary to societal change. But as she continued to encounter people too low in self-esteem to take advantage of chances that presented themselves, and other people addicted to authority and control as the only proof of their value, she came to understand that no amount of situational success can fill the void if it doesn't come from the inside out. Glow's life's work as a social revolutionary leader positioned her to examine how political context directly influences the personal in her epic book, Revolution from Within. It's a relief to have societal self-esteem broken down and contextualized this way. Highly recommend Revolution from Within. You can find a link in the show notes. If you've been to therapy, you may have talked about the inner child. It's the idea that inside of all of us is a little child. I think of the inner child as living inside the pericardium, the muscle that protects the heart. 
the muscle is very tight and strong. In yoga, they talk about the cave of the heart, this dark, cool, protected place, very hard to access, but there nonetheless. And a child has needs and desires that, like it or not, must be addressed and met in order for us to be happy. Wild child, full of grace. We can't discipline or bully our inner child into happiness. We can't command or coerce the inner child. If we didn't receive enough nurturance when we were younger, then our inner child is going to have more needs and desires to address. So that's what's meant by inner child work, in case you didn't know. You kind of become a split personality, parent and child. It's about learning to trust. And for many people, finally having a trusted parent available is revolutionary. It's extremely empowering to be able to soothe painful wounds we may have previously buried somewhere deep down. People talk about pushing their feelings down, but where to? To the hips a lot of the time. The hip joint is the largest weight-bearing joint in the body, making it a good dumping ground for pain. These emotional dumps can also be found in the stomach, solar plexus, the heart, the throat, places in yoga that hold a lot of significance, places where chakras are said to be. Side note on chakras, this concept is a really interesting topic because it can be interpreted very literally, as in chakras are a material thing that exists in reality, like an elbow or a kneecap. Or you can think of them as metaphors. Each chakra has certain characteristics and colors and practices attached to the idea of aligning them. Or you can play around with the idea that both things could be true or neither. It's a little dance between Western science, common sense, and the imagination. Which brings me to boredom. The boredom of childhood. There used to be a lot of nothing time just playing outside and being bored. We now know that these hours upon hours of being bored, daydreaming, scheming, hoping, and then lapsing back into the ennui of staring at a blade of grass because freedom was years off, we know that this is incredibly valuable time. To be bored leads to the activation of imagination, and that's how we get the asphalt for the roads we start paving towards a life of satisfaction. If you weren't allowed to be bored when you were younger, or if life was just so chaotic that there was no space to assemble your thoughts, or the situation all children born after the invention of cell phones face just as a reality, they are never bored in that free-form way because entertainment brain rot is in their hands from birth. Then it hinders the imagination, and that affects our self-respect because it can be really hard to lay the foundations for a life that seems like it'll be nice. Here's some good news. There are some things that we can practice that are free and easy. Intercepting negative self-talk is one of them. Many of us have annoying, unhelpful, repetitious, negative self-talk going on inside us constantly. Some people have intrusive thoughts. Maybe you have a goal or a dream that seems impossible to achieve because your inner critic is constantly whispering. Just who do you Who do you think you are? Only people with a good education get a job like that and look how pathetic you are. (laughs) Or maybe there's a bitch inside you mocking your body or your face, telling you you're ugly or stupid or embarrassing. Oh my God, Becky, look at her butt. It is so big. 
What you do is, when you notice it, bring awareness to that when it happens. That's it. Just kind of notice. It's weird because it's essentially meditation to split into the observed and the observer. We can practice holding two perspectives in our mind at once by noticing the words and thoughts running through our minds. Our minds are always working to keep us alive, so that noise is always going. And so if we choose, we can always bring some mindfulness to it by observing it. Notice the tone, the decibel level of it, the temperature of the thoughts. Notice the speed of your thoughts. Note the pace and the places where it hits you in the body, especially the stomach, the heart, the throat. You've got to be able to feel your gut to trust it. And then breathe. That's it. This is totally something available to anyone, anytime, and it won't interfere with whatever work you're doing. It will only enhance your peace and flow, making you more productive if that's what you're worried about. Through taking notice of our thoughts and grounding the body, we can self-parent and feel supported. What a trip. Being a secure human being. It's helpful to counter the negative with words. When I think something mean about myself, I counter it with, would you say that to your best friend? Is that something you'd say to someone you adored? And if the answer is no, I know that it's not the way to go. When has anyone been positively influenced by being bullied or abused? The answer doesn't actually matter. It's more of a case of, do I want to abuse my inner child? No, I don't. Okay, let's talk about sex. A lot of people go through with a lot of sexual experiences that don't please them because of pressure, a lack of agency, or just not being very peaceful with their own boundaries and needs. To be crystal clear, I'm not talking about being forced into sex. I know that issues of consent are very complex sometimes. I'm talking about consensual sexual experiences and the grey areas that many people, especially women, find themselves in because of conditioning and wanting to please. Sex is a weird arena because of the psychodynamics involved in giving and receiving. Sex can be a minefield, or it can be a romp in the Garden of Eden. It all comes down to esteem and respect, in my opinion. You could have the most sadomasochistic scene with someone, but have tons of love and respect for them, so the boundaries are very clear, and the game is defined. Or you can be manipulated or manipulate be controlled and do the controlling without having a deeper awareness of why you're turned on by those power dynamics. And people can get really hurt, emotionally I mean. Well, also physically if we're talking unsafe BDSM. Often people talk about feeling disconnected from their bodies and therefore confused about what they do and don't desire and enjoy. If that rings true to your ears, may I suggest yoga or a little dancing? And you can do Maybe a regular hiking day, or if you're unable to do much physical activity, a breath practice that allows you to get into the groove of your body. The, the body is a world within a world with tides and rhythms, so anytime you can find the breath or sweat or use your senses and notice that you're using them, notice that you're sweating, notice that you're alive here and now, this will help a lot towards building self-love because how can you not respect a body that allows for so much sensation and adventure? 
if there are things that prohibit or inhibit your ability to connect to your sexuality, if you didn't have the support and information you needed when you were young, if that wasn't your experience, you can start now. (laughs) Slow down. This is a place in life where we can set our own rhythm. We can take our time. And if you feel saturated by porn to where you're anxious, time for a fast. Let your mind settle and get bored and see what fantasies and images come from letting things find their own level. Our sexual responses can be heavily influenced and made dysfunctional by capitalism, you know. Sex is power. And so of course it's the number one tool of capitalism to get us to buy and do things. But you can actually take it back and give it the respect and esteem it deserves. I think one of the places we're most challenged is in romantic relationships. A relationship is always an opportunity to grow. Consider spiritual concepts such as faith, surrender, truth, compassion, and love. And in this way, a relationship can be a spiritual path. And then there's breakups. Self-esteem can be rocked by breakups, especially if it's someone who's known us intimately and for a long time and they decide they don't like us anymore. That's wild. That is some varsity level self-esteem wrestling there. And sometimes in life we get a big shock or just overloaded and we need to take to our beds. But I have to say, on taking to the bed, no bed rotting is permitted. Self-esteem is like a vitamin or a medication that you need to take daily. Yes, you can take to the bed, but put on clean sheets, get an air purifier. I have a pretty cheap one in my boudoir. You can pick up something rudimentary or fancy depending on your budget. Take to the bed, but shower and moisturize first. Use some mouthwash, put on clean soft clothes. The signals you give a damn about your inner child and they'll appreciate it and you'll feel better. There's a capitalistic belief instilled into everyone living under it that we will esteem and respect ourselves once we've achieved a certain standard of living. Let's just debunk this immediately without spending all day on it. We live in the American dream. The people high up got the lowest self-esteem. Money and status won't and doesn't give us lasting self-respect. We may be bolstered by outward achievement, but that feeling of solid, unshakable faith in oneself is an inside job. If peace in the valley comes from success and wealth, why are those rich men furiously chasing more power, more sex, more money, and ever younger girls? Fear of mortality, babes, and low self-esteem. Money, 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 and our relationship to it is loaded. In yoga, there's a concept called right livelihood. In the material world, the way we make our money can be an area where self-respect takes second place. With respect to the cold, hard facts of life, the need to make a living and keep the lights on, yeah, sometimes we got to do what we got to do. But the second, the second you can see your way clear to a better job path towards it, if you're disrespected at work or in an ethically questionable situation, take that road immediately. 
that's my advice. If it means taking a pay cut, shit, that's a really hard thing for me to endorse in 2024, honestly. I know the value of a comfortable lifestyle. I love money. So I actually don't feel I can say take a pay cut. But some people I respect have said it emphatically. One of them being Anna Runkle, the host of the crappy Childhood Fairy podcast. So I'll just leave that idea there for your consideration. I think about mortality constantly and I'm naturally very existential in my thinking. But the thing about philosophy is you can get lost in thought. Stare into the void and the void stares back. And that's when coming back to the fact of the body and time and space can provide grounding and some answers, at least practical ones as they pertain to this life you're living. This year, Julia Cameron put out Living the Artist's Way, a sequel to her classic 1992 book, The Artist's Way. In the 70s, Julia Cameron was married to Martin Scorsese and had a substance abuse problem noticeable enough that Hunter S. Thompson suggests she eased up a bit. By the time she wrote The Artist's Way, she had been through some shit and hauled herself out of it. She wrote the book to help people with artistic recovery. One of her techniques is The Artist Date. The Artist Date is a once-weekly solo expedition to explore something that interests you. It's about pleasing yourself and sparking the imagination. I think The Artist Date is an awesome way to serve both the inner child and the outer adult. Highly recommend. Babes, I hope this episode has clarified self-esteem for you and validated any fears and feelings that you may have around self-esteem, self-respect and self-love. It's a good jumping off point, I think. Our journey to love and to be loved is really a life's work and that's why I like talking about these things with you. The road is dark in places and the destination is unknown, but the one person we travel with as ourselves so we better take care till next time don't size me up just say my name I wanna hear it fall down your chin dribble like pain Say it right, don't care what you think, don't call me Barbie, just to look like I own a fucking thing and pick. I hear the high of the wolves they scream, they wait by the
face. 